Welcome to another edition of the Truth Hurts program. Let's get started. Yes, my friends, everyone's a little bit racist, but it only counts against you if you happen to be Caucasian. It's perfectly okay for one race to use a certain word, but it's not okay for you. They claim that's because one race experienced slavery, but no man, no woman, no child alive today in the USA has ever been a slave. And no man, no woman, no child alive today has ever owned a slave. The double standard, the ridiculous hypocrisy of racism in America has now even permeated into Christmas songs. Welcome to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z, where we point out the blatant, obvious racism in a holiday that I guess black people just don't want to participate in. They hate Christmas so much They even invented their own fake made-up holiday called Kwanzaa. It's actually a joke, just like the Seinfeld episode where they invented the holiday Festivus for the rest of us. Anyway, to the topic at hand. One of the most famous Christmas carols is now being called racist, according to a learned scholar at an Ivy League primarily white university. A Boston University historian, Kaina Hamill, made an argument in a research paper published in 2017 entitled, The Story I Must Tell, Jingle Bells in the Minstrel Repertoire. Jingle Bells, as we all know, is a hometown favorite for people around the globe. It is a Christmas carol. Little children sing it in pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, at the second, third, or fourth grade school pageants. It is sung at the end of many church services. But according to this Professor Hamill, it was written by James Lord Pierpoint, and he was very, very white. Professor Hamill says she looked into the history of the song and of Pierpoint's life, and she claims there is an entirely different story behind Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. She says, I don't have a definite answer to where he sat down and wrote the song, but, and this is where my town is going to be mad at me, the town of Medford, it was absolutely not written in 1850 at the Simpson Tavern in Medford, as history has previously dictated. Professor Hamill had nothing better to do because most college professors don't have anything better to do. She found that Mr. Pierpoint was living in California in 1850, the year the song was allegedly written in Medford, Massachusetts. Ooh, how does that make it racist? Well, it doesn't. 
Hamill found a playbill from the Harvard Theater Collection showing the first time the song was publicly performed was at Ordway Hall on September 15, 1857, in blackface during a minstrel show. If you're not familiar with minstrel shows, supposedly that was a way for white people to make fun of black people by painting their faces black and acting black. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be acting white, you know what I'm saying? She says, the legacy of Jingle Bells is, as we shall see, a prime example of common misreading of the much popular music from the 19th century, in which its black-faced and racist origins have been subtly and systematically removed from history. She published this paper in September of 2017, claiming that because it was sung by a white person with black makeup on, the song is now automatically racist. So here's to you, O oh destroyer of Christmas dreams. Now there is a very racist rendition using the same jingle as in Jingle Bells. In 2018, in New Hampshire, an 11th grade group of students sang what was called a racist musical number for their history class, which contained some very questionable lyrics. This happened at Dover High School and was reported December 3rd of 2018, just three years ago. The 11th grade students were accused of singing KKK, KKK, let's kill all the blacks, burn a cross in their front yard and hope they don't come back. Hey, according to one member of the school faculty, students in the class were instructed to create a jingle about an event that took place during the Reconstruction period after the Civil War. Children of color make up less than 5% of the student body in that particular city, and they say this song is an incident of extreme racial insensitivity. Now think about it. Back at the end of the Civil War during Reconstruction, there was a very large movement embraced by Abraham Lincoln, the same president who freed the slaves. Not just the black slave, but the white slaves, the Irish, the Italian, the Chinese. Lincoln, the father of ending slavery, had actually embarked upon a mission to see how much it would cost to send each and every former slave and their offspring back to Africa. The BTA Back to Africa movement was said at that time would cost too much money it would have been easier to just give each slave 40 acres and a mule or some other type of reparations, but that too died. You now have a group of former slaves living in the United States in the 1865-1867 period of time who were now free. Free just like you or like me to go out, get a job, buy some land if you want to be a farmer, Use some of the skills that you learned while you were a slave and make a productive life for yourself here in the country. Or you could go back where you came from. After all, remember, black slaves in the United States were rounded up by black slave traders. They were gathered from the losing tribes in Africa. No white people went over there hunting for slaves. It just didn't happen. But we won't get into that. It's Christmas time. So let's talk about the next Christmas racist song. I'm dreaming 
of a white Christmas. Over the years, blacks and Democrats have tried to portray this time-honored Christmas carol about a man in the South dreaming of being back in the North where it snowed at Christmas time. He was dreaming of a snowy white Christmas. The song has nothing to do with racism, but the black community would have you believe otherwise in their constant race-baiting, race-card-playing attempt to get sympathy and something else for nothing. White Christmas, not a racist song, but they would have you believe that it is. When I was a child in the 1960s and early 1970s, the magic of Christmas was promoted in schools. We sang Christmas carols in our classroom. We had a Christmas pageant, a Christmas play, and that was in a public school. Later, I went to Catholic school, and of course, Christmas was still allowed. But there were the early onset signs of political correctness and the false cries of racism that started to whittle away at the Christmas celebration in schools. We used to have cutouts of the nativity scene on the bulletin board with the smiling chubby face of Santa and Rudolph. We were acutely aware that Christmas was a magical time of year. But there's now a war on Christmas and it has been adopted as also a war cry against conservatism. As anything you wish to preserve or conserve is considered wrong in the eyes of the leftist, progressive, liberal, woke crowd. Present day, there are phobias around Christmas and Christianity that have turned the celebration of the birth of Christ into fodder for the politically correct culture wars we now see on a daily basis. The Rutherford Institute has something called Constitutional Q&A, 12 Rules of Christmas, which point out that some communities, government agencies, and businesses have gone to extreme lengths to avoid causing offenses over Christmas to those who don't believe. And to hell with those who do believe, and if you're offended, too bad, so sad. Schools across the country avoid anything that alludes to the true meaning of Christmas, such as angels, the baby Jesus, stables, shepherds. Heaven forbid they have those images in a school. It's okay to offend the Christians by omitting it, but it is not okay to put anything up that remotely resembles Christianity in any form because it might offend the pagans, the non-believers. And that is a sin. You cannot offend them, but it's okay to offend us. In many of our nation's schools, Christmas trees, Christmas carols, wreaths, and candy canes have also been banned as a part of an effort to avoid any reference to Christ or God or Christmas. One school has even outlawed the use of the colors red and green, saying that they were Christmas colors and therefore illegal. In one school, students were asked to send seasonal cards to military troops, and they were told to make them, quote, holiday cards, unquote and instructed, do not use the words Merry Christmas on your cards. Many schools have renamed their Christmas concerts as winter holiday programs. They refer to Christmas as the winter festival or the winter break. That's pagan in nature. Some schools have canceled holiday celebrations altogether to avoid offending those who do not celebrate individual holidays. In Minnesota, one charter school banned the display of a poster that was prepared to promote the school's yearbook as a holiday gift 
because the poster included Jack Skellington from Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas and another secular Christmas icon or two. And they were told, redo your poster to not include the word Christmas present. In New Jersey, one school district banned traditional Christmas songs such as Joy to the World and Silent Night from its holiday concerts. A New Jersey middle school canceled a field trip to attend a performance of the play A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens because some might have found it offensive. What about my kids who would have found it offensive to have their field trip taken away from them? Look, if you don't want to go see A Christmas Carol, keep your kid home that day or let him stay in the library, study hall. Over in Texas, a teacher who decorated her door with a scene from the Charlie Brown Christmas, which included a scrawny tree and Linus, was forced to take it down because the school district didn't want students to be offended or feel uncomfortable. In Connecticut, teachers were instructed to change the wording of the classic poem, "'Twas the night before Christmas." The words now are, "'Twas the night before a holiday." In Virginia, a high school principal debated about whether he could mention Santa or distribute candy canes because they might be symbols of Christmas. In Massachusetts, a fourth grade class was asked to list 25 things that reminded them of Christmas. One young student asked, may I include Jesus? The teacher says, no, I could lose my job if the Christmas namesake appeared on the list. Do not use Jesus. There are things not much better going on outside of the schools. One West Virginia town, the manger scene, 350 light exhibits in the town's festival of lights included shepherds and camels and a guiding star and the main attraction, of course, the baby Jesus, Mary and Joseph, were omitted. They were taken out deliberately over concerns about separation of church and state. In Chicago, a centuries-old tradition known as German Christkindlmarkt were informed the public Christmas festival was no place for the Christmas story. Officials were concerned that clips of the film The Nativity Story, which were to be played at the festival, might be offensive to some. In Delaware, a Girl Scout troop was prohibited from carrying signs reading Merry Christmas in their town's annual holiday parade. While the First Amendment Establishment Clause prohibits the government from forcing religion on people or endorsing one particular religion over another, there's no legitimate legal reason why people should not be able to celebrate the season freely or wish one another a Merry Christmas or even mention the word Christmas. The Rutherford Institute's 12 Rules of Christmas Guidelines are helpful in dealing with folks who subscribe to the misguided notion that the law requires anything Christmas in nature to be banned from public places. Yet, there's the thing about this so-called war on Christmas that people don't seem to get. While Christmas may be the trigger for purging Christmas from public places, from government forums, from speech, except where it profits corporate America, that is part and parcel of the greater trend in recent years to whittle away at your free speech and trample the First Amendment completely underfoot. Claiming to promote tolerance and diversity while seeking a homogenous mindset, many workplaces, schools, and public places have become intolerant to any but the most politically correct viewpoints. And at what cost? Hmm. What you're witnessing, my friends, is the emergence of an unstated yet court-sanctioned right, one that makes no appearance in the Constitution, 
but it seems to trump the First Amendment at every turn. The right to not be offended. Only if you're on one side of an issue, of course. I'm offended when I'm told I can't display Christmas lights or signs in a public place. I am offended when Christmas and Christianity in general is vilified, demonized, castigated. I'm offended, but that does not seem to matter to the woke progressives. Of course, they can use any phraseology that they want, and if it offends white, Christian, conservative, heterosexuals, too bad, so sad. Emboldened by phrases such as hate crimes and bullying and extremism and microaggressions, free speech is being confined to carefully constructed free speech zones. Criminalized when it skates too close to challenging the status quo, shamed when it butts up against politically correct ideals, and muzzled when it appears to the woke progressive liberals so easily offended, it appears dangerous. This is censorship, no doubt, driven by the overly politically correct need to pander to all of those who are so easily offended. But if you're not woke, not progressive, not liberal, not leftist, not socialist in nature, and you are offended, tough. When you see the safe space mindset really play out in our nation's public schools, which continue to adopt policies like zero tolerance policies that promise to steer young people clear of anything that even hints at danger or controversy or non-politically correct thinking, you have to realize our nation is headed for a fall. Unfortunately, too often it's common sense and individual liberty that get trampled underfoot. Students get suspended under a zero-tolerance policy against drugs for chewing on a cert's breath mint. Or a kindergartner is suspended under the zero-tolerance school policy against violence for playing a make-believe game of cops and robbers, pointing his finger and saying pow-pow. A school trip to see A Christmas Carol gets canceled because of the zero-tolerance policy against anything that might be in any way, shape, or form considered offensive. What's worse is the motto today seems to be, when in doubt, throw it out. At the slightest hint of trouble, government officials and corporations now are more inclined to discard anything that might be considered objectionable. So whereas Mark Twain's classic Huckleberry Finn used to at least make a list of banned books every year, it now does not even make an appearance on a school's reading list that has been scrubbed completely out of existence. Why? The N-word was used in it one time. Zero tolerance policies are ultimately about programming people into compliance with government mandates. It is socialism, it is dictatorship, it is communism embodied. The government doesn't care about Christmas, it cares about control. It cares about controlling what you do, what you say, and what you display. And by government, I'm talking about an entrenched government bureaucracy of leftists who call the shots no matter which political party claims to be in control of the White House or Congress. This is a movement. It is a communistic movement to destroy America as we know it. Remember, the police state wants you to be a nation of snowflakes, of snitches, of book burners. A legalistic, intolerant, elitist, squealing bystander nation willing to turn on each other and turn each other in for even the slightest so-called offense. All that petty sniping that occurred while Donald Trump was president 
over Melania's Christmas decorations. It plays perfectly into the efforts to keep the citizenry at odds with one another and is incapable of presenting a united front against threats posed by your government and its cabal of constitution-destroying agencies and corporate partners. You want to know why the U.S. is in the current state that it's in? Let me say this. Read a book called Battlefield America, The War on the American People, and you will know exactly what I'm talking about. John Whitehead wrote the book, but I'm sure the leftist crowd will accuse him of being racist because his last name is Whitehead. The word white is automatically evil as well, just like White Christmas. The answer is the same no matter what the so-called issue might be, whether it's economy, government corruption, police brutality, war, censorship, falling literacy rates, high crime, anything. Every one of the problems can be sourced back to the fact that we the people have stopped thinking for ourselves and have relinquished responsibility for our lives and our well-being to a government entity that only sees us as useful idiots. The Greek philosopher Socrates believed in teaching people to think for themselves and in the free exchange of ideas. And for his efforts, of course, he was accused of corrupting the youth and was killed. His legacy, however, lived on in the Socratic method of teaching, posing questions that help young and old discover the answers by learning to think for themselves. But even that method is now in danger of extinction. You guys might remember Rod Serling, the creator of the sci-fi Twilight Zone series. He was one of the most insightful commentators on the human condition. And he once observed, we are developing a new citizenry, one that will be very selective about cereals and automobiles, but will be unable to think. We face a threat in our society from this drive to obliterate history and traditions in order to erect a twisted view of reality. In the process, we're creating a schizophrenic world for our children to grow up in, where they're either a victim or a bully, and there is no in-between. It's neither healthy, nor will it produce the kind of people who will be able to face the challenges of a future that will most certainly be ruled by a totalitarian regime. And we are well on the way to that totalitarian regime, my friends. Look at the way gropey Joe Biden has chosen to govern. He has all but thrown the Constitution out as toilet paper as he continues to rule by executive order and fiat and continues to push programs and requirements and regulations and procedures upon the American people without having them go through the due process of congressional review and congressional manufacturing of law. You cannot sanitize reality. You can't scrub out of existence every unpleasant thought or idea. You can't legislate tolerance or acceptance. You cannot create enough safe spaces in this world to avoid the ugliness that lurks in the hearts of some men and women. And you cannot fight ignorance with the weapons of a police state. What you can do, however, is opt for kindness over curtness, civility over censorship, peace over politics, freedom over fascism, and common sense over communism. You can do your little part. You can make the world a little brighter, a little lighter, and maybe, just maybe, you might have a chance to dig your way out of the hole that gropey Joe Biden has placed us in. Before I finish this piece, I want to tell you the nation of snowflakes is getting larger, almost an avalanche in proportions. Martin Luther King Jr., during his 
Christmas Sermon on Peace, said, quote, This Christmas season finds us a rather bewildered human race. We have neither peace within nor peace without. Everywhere paralyzing fears harrow people by day and haunt them by night. Our world is sick with war. Everywhere we turn, we see its ominous possibilities. And yet, my friends, the Christmas hope for peace and goodwill toward men can no longer be dismissed as a kind of pious dream of some utopian. If we don't have goodwill toward men in this world, we will destroy ourselves by the misuse of our own instruments and our own power." Unquote. Very wise words from Martin Luther King Jr. Didn't mean to get too political on you guys. I will say the war on Christmas, the war on the entire notion of Christmas is political correct pollution. And my friends, there are several songs that will probably be relegated to the ash heap of history because of their supposed bigotry or racism or homophobia. Deck the halls, ho, 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 my friends. There's one line, don we now our gay apparel. This has triggered the LGBTQRST alphabet rainbow crowd. Many of today's renditions of that classic song have changed the G word by swapping it out for fun. Don we now our fun apparel? Give me a break. There's also a song from back in the day, Donde Esta Santa Claus by Augie Rios, 1956. It was demonized and vilified because 12-year-old Augie Rios wrote and performed the song in Spanglish, where he intermixed English words with Spanish words with an exaggerated Hispanic accent. In 1952, Jimmy Boyd's hit, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, and now it has also been deemed a hate song because, well, Mommy is obviously committing adultery with a strange man in a costume, and there's a video voyeur watching from the hallway as Mommy kisses Santa Claus. And we can't forget, 1953 brought us Eartha Kitt's Santa Baby, and that is a slut-shaming, pro-sex-trafficking, free-market-propagating, traditional Christmas song that makes her a gold digger working her chimney-smoking charms on old Saint Nick, asking for things instead of Christmas spirit. So there's kind of a double standard there. Lou Monte in 1960 wrote Dominic the Donkey. There was also in 1942 Bing Crosby's White Christmas. Does this song need a whitewashing washing? Apparently, my friends, White Christmas is supposed to symbolize white supremacy. No, you idiots, you morons. It's a guy wishing for a snow-filled Christmas holiday, like the ones he knew as a child. Perhaps this should be a good song, since global warming supposedly has melted all the snow. I don't get it. The Pogues wrote a song in 1985 called Fairy Tale of New York. It was banned because the Christy McCall singer, the female half of the booze-broken reprobate, said, quote, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, lousy, well, find a word for homosexual man that rhymes with maggot. And of course, they banned it. 
Can't forget last year's controversy about Baby It's Cold Outside, the song first made popular by Dean Martin way back in 1959. Supposedly, it encourages the cloying and annoying and sexual crime diminishing internet term rapey smoking you're not leaving because i want you to spend the night so i'm going to do everything i can to convince you to stay so i can date rape you song right wrong and what bashing of christmas songs would be complete without this one you probably never heard before but here goes Yes, sure to never be a Christmas classic, Tiny Tim's Santa Claus has got the AIDS this year. Likely not to be sung at any of your holiday celebrations. Wow, where's the time gone? That's going to wrap up this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody, and we'll see you on the next program. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed are free speech protected under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Thank you.